Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We'll now turn to our Bibles, uh, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 23, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23, and we will be reading verses 1 through 14. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, Your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not Give him into his hand. Thus says God's holy word. In this passage that we just read, David provides for us an excellent example of someone who lives every moment in in accordance with the word of the Lord. In fact, every decision that David makes in these 14 verses is based on God's word, on what God tells him to do. 
And what makes David, David's example even more impressive for us is that these are not light decisions that he is making. Each decision that he makes in this passage is a matter of life and death. He is a man on the run from his king and country. And if he makes just one wrong move, not only could it cost him his life, but it could cost him the lives of the 600 people who are with him. Now that's a lot of pressure for one individual. And another thing for us to consider about David is that if anyone ever had a reason to doubt God's word, it was probably David. Because back in chapter 16, the Lord had anointed David to be king over Israel. The Lord had promised David great things. And yet since that time, his life has not been going well. Sure, he experienced success and fame as a warrior in Saul's army for a little while. But since that time, he has been betrayed and made a fugitive by his own king and father-in-law. As a result, he went from dining in palaces and being showered with praises to living in caves and squalor, separated and isolated from everyone he knows and loves. Such a fate is hardly befitting for an anointed king. And there can be no doubt for us that this is not what David had in mind for himself when he was first anointed king of Israel. He probably never imagined that becoming king would involve being hunted down and living life as a fugitive. I think if any of us were in David's shoes, we would all probably be second-guessing our calling at this point. We would be saying things like, Lord, did you really call me to be king? Is this really what you want for me? Such questions would inevitably cause us to doubt God's plan for our lives. Perhaps we would be tempted to think that we had interpreted God's word incorrectly. Or maybe God had changed his mind about us. Or maybe God had just gotten things wrong. God didn't know what he was doing. And yet, that is not what we see David doing here in our passage tonight. Instead of questioning God's word, David seems to double down on his commitment to live by God's word. In the moments of crisis and uncertainty in this passage, David trusts. David trusts in God's word and depends on God's word more than ever. And by his example, the Bible calls us to live the same way. Because if you stop and think about it, our lives are really not that much different from David's. Like David, we too have been promised a glorious kingship. Romans 8, for example, tells us that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with the one who now rules all things in heaven and on earth. And then Revelation 20 even shows us 
sitting on thrones, waiting, reigning with Christ in the heavenly places. And yet, if we are honest with ourselves, our lives don't really ever seem to reflect the reality of God's promises. As Christians, we are despised and rejected by the world around us. We're looked down on and shamed for our faith. We're called all sorts of vile names. And sometimes we even have our livelihoods threatened. As a result, we may feel alone, hurt, and afraid. We may feel like fugitives. And all this seems terribly unfitting for a child and heir of God. In the face of such dreadful circumstances, it would be an easy thing for us to withdraw and go into isolation, to stay bunkered down in our churches and never come out. It would be an easy thing to give in to the pressures of the world and compromise our integrity, compromise our beliefs. It would be easy to give up the fight. But that's not how the Bible calls us to live. The Bible calls us to follow David's example. Therefore, like David, we must not let our circumstances no matter how stressful or frightening they may be, dictate our actions. Instead, our actions, that is, how we live our lives, must be dictated by our deep and abiding trust in God's Word and in God's Word alone. And this is our call to action. 1 Samuel 23 is calling us to trust in God's word and to let it and it alone govern how we live our lives. So in our passage tonight, I want to highlight two different ways that David exemplifies this for us. First, in verses 1 through 5, instead of withdrawing from the world, we see David trusting in God's word to lead him into the fight, into battle. And second, in verses 6 through 14, instead of giving up, we see David trusting in God's word to deliver him from his enemies. So now let's look at each of these cases. First, in verses 1 through 5, instead of withdrawing from the world, we see David trusting in God's word to lead him into the battle. Now, previously, in chapter 22, David, had, David and his men had been hiding out in the cave of Adalom, which was located outside of the territory of Judah. David had been trying to avoid Judah because it was where he was originally from, which made it the most likely place for King Saul and his men to be looking for him. In fact, in chapter 22, we're also told that Judah was so dangerous for David that he actually had to rescue his parents from Judah and hide them in the land of Moab. That's how unsafe Judah was for David and his family. And the fact that he was hiding out in a cave outside of Judah implies that perhaps David's initial instinct would have been much like ours. 
Perhaps his initial instinct was to withdraw from the world and to go into isolation. He wanted to hide. But we soon find out in the same chapter, in chapter 22, that this was not the Lord's will for David. The prophet Gad, in verse, chapter 22, verse 5, directs David, speaks, to the Lord, uh, speaks for the Lord, and directs David to return to the land of Judah. The lesson to learn here is that the Lord does not want his anointed king just to play it safe. Instead, the Lord purposely leads his anointed king directly in to danger. And to David's credit, he does not argue or dispute with the prophet Gad. He doesn't say, Gad, you must have had it wrong. That's a dumb idea. David trusts the word of the Lord so much that he is willing to follow God even into the most dangerous of places. And in the first two verses of chapter 23... David shows us that not only is he willing to follow the Lord into danger, he is willing to fight the Lord's enemies. We see this in verse 1, where upon re-entering the land of Judah with his men, David is told that the Philistines are fighting against the city of Keilah and are robbing its threshing floors. Now, Keilah was one of the fortified cities of Judah. It was located on the Philistine border. This means that the people of Keilah were David's tribesmen. They were his fellow Judeans. And they were in a vulnerable position there on the border neighboring the Philistines. And not only were they being attacked, but their threshing floors are being robbed. Threshing floors is another term for fields of grain. And this was a serious situation because without grain, The people of Keilah, even if they weren't slaughtered by the Philistines, would have no bread. And without bread, the people of Keilah were in danger of starvation. And it's important to notice, to pause and notice here, that David, upon hearing this news, doesn't presume what the Lord's will is in this situation. In other words, David doesn't presume that saving Keilah was the reason he was called to return to Judah, although that might have been a logical assumption to make. Nor does David just ignore the news of Keilah being attacked in order to save himself. Try to put yourself in David's shoes. You can imagine the difficulty of the choice that was before him. Here's a guy who is trying to... uh, lay low and be inconspicuous so that Saul doesn't find out where he is. But now he hears that his own people are being attacked. What is he supposed to do? Well, we need to notice that David here is not motivated by his feelings towards the people of Keilah. Although he shares a connection with them, he doesn't let his feelings about them govern or dictate his actions. Nor is David motivated purely by his own self-preservation. Instead, David's first priority as as the anointed and rightful king of Israel is to be obedient to the will of God. Thus, when he hears about the city of Keilah, he immediately inquires of the Lord to find out if he should go and attack these Philistines. 
To which the Lord replies and says, Yes, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. However, as we see in verse 3, this was not a popular decision among David's men. So they come to him and say, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to, uh, go to Keilah and fight against the armies of the Philistines? What they're essentially saying here is, Look, David, it's bad enough that you'll let us back into Judah. How much worse off then will we be if we go against the army of the Philistines and make another enemy for ourselves? And where Saul will most definitely find out where we are and come and kill us. And their fears here are completely valid. If any of us were in their shoes, we no doubt would have been asking the same questions. But notice that David does not argue with his men in an effort to persuade them, and nor does he shun their concerns. Instead, he lets their concerns motivate him to go to the Lord yet once again to seek assurance of God's leading. And by doing so, David demonstrates that his trust in God's word is greater than any of the fears of man. In other words, David trusts God's word more than he fears the circumstances of his situation. So if the Lord instructs him to go fight the Philistines, even though it's extremely dangerous, a suicide mission, that's exactly what David is going to do. David does not let the circumstances of his life dictate his behavior. The only thing that David allows to direct his decisions in this passage is the word of God and the word of God alone. And because of that, the Lord ends up blessing him and all those who are with him. In verse 5, we read that when David and his men obeyed the word of God, they experienced a great victory over the Philistines. They took many spoils of war and saved the people of Keilah. And this should be a lesson for all of us who find ourselves in positions of leadership, whether that be in the home, the office, the church, or at school. When we trust in God's word and are faithful to obey his commands, God not only will bless us, but he will use us to be a blessing to those who are with us. So if we as Christians don't allow ourselves to become withdrawn and isolated, and instead we are seeking to do the Lord's will, we're faithful to obey his commands, we have the promise that the Lord will use us, that the Lord will bless us, that the Lord will use us to bless those around us. And here, if I may, I would like to make a special exhortation to any husbands or fathers or potential husbands and fathers who may be listening. To you, I say, please don't allow yourself to become withdrawn from your wife and your kids. Don't bury yourself in your work for the sake of being successful. Don't withdraw from your family in order to seek your own gratification 
In doing so, you're only reaping your own destruction and damaging those whom God has entrusted to you. Instead, heed the words of Proverbs 3 that says, When we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, it will bring healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Trust brings healing and refreshment. Let that be an encouragement to you to invest in your children and your wife by making God's word the top priority for your home, for your household. And it will not only bring blessing to you, but to all those who are under your roof. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong either. I'm not saying that if we are simply trusting in God's word that life will work out hunky-dory and that everything will be fine. I'm not saying that because that's actually not what happens here in our passage. We've already established the fact that God's word does not always allow us to play things safe. And we see that point once again being made in the second part of our passage in verses 6 through 14. For example, in verse 7, we are told that that the men that David was with, their fears came true. Saul did actually find out where David and his men were when they went to Keilah. And not only did he find out, but apparently Saul was so confident that David's situation was utterly hopeless that he actually thought that God himself must have given David into his hands. Now, if you know anything about Saul from previous chapters in the book of 1 Samuel, you know what a silly and ridiculous thing, what a silly and ridiculous thought that is. Because back in chapter 15, the Lord had already spoken through the prophet Samuel, telling Saul that the kingdom would be stripped from him and his family and given to another. In other words, Saul already knows his fate, but yet he has the audacity to think that God is with him here. So for Saul to have the audacity to think that God had given David into his hands, that has to tell us something about just how serious David's predicament in Keilah was. I mean, we don't know the exact details of how the situation played itself out. But for Saul to think that God was actually on his side tells us just how trapped David and his men must have been. And this leads us to our second point tonight. Instead of falling into despair over his circumstances, instead of getting angry at God, David trusts in God's word to deliver him from what seems like an utterly hopeless situation. Notice that when David finds out the news that Saul is on his way to kill him and his men, and not only them, but to destroy the city of Keilah, David doesn't get frustrated or mad with the Lord. He doesn't say, See, Lord, I told you this would happen. Why did you send us here in the first place? What a stupid move. No, he doesn't say that. But as sinful human beings, we can become so easily discouraged when 
obedience to God's word doesn't work out for our immediate benefit. When being faithful to God's word doesn't help us make friends or help us to find someone to marry or help us get that promotion at work, but when being faithful to God's word only leads us into more trouble and difficulty, we are so easily frustrated and tempted to get matters to take matters into our own hands. Because we think that either God doesn't know what he's doing, or maybe he was never really for us in the first place. But none of that is what David does here. At least it's not told to us that that those are David's thoughts. Instead of taking matters into his own hands, because things didn't seem to work out for him, David once again puts his trust in the word of the Lord. In verse 6, we are told that when Abiathar, the high priest, came to David, he brought with him the ephod. And this is significant because the ephod was the divinely appointed means of communication between God and his people in times of emergency. Exodus 28 describes the ephod as a jeweled breastplate that only the high priest was to wear. And this jeweled breastplate had pockets that contained the urim and the thummim, which were sacred lots used in times of crisis to immediately determine the will of God. Now, we don't know what these lots were or how they were used exactly, But a modern-day example of such a thing would be a little like drawing straws. However, what we do know is that these sacred lots used to determine God's will in moments of crisis showed up just in time when David needed them the most. Funny how things work out that way sometimes. So as soon as David finds out that Saul is on his way to wage war against the city of Keilah, he immediately turns to Abiathar the high priest and to the ephod to find out what God would have him do next. In his moment of crisis, David simply asks the Lord two questions. He asks, is it true that Saul is coming to wage war against the city in order to kill me? In other words, is Saul so wicked that he would really destroy an entire city of his own people just to get to David? And then the second question that David asks is, will the people of Keilah, will they give me up? Will they succumb to the pressures of Saul and betray me? And to both questions, the Lord responds in the affirmative. And when David hears this, David trusts what the word of the Lord tells him, and he acts accordingly. He acts accordingly. Now, David's decision to go on the run may seem like the obvious choice to us, the readers who are far, far removed from this situation. But it Again, try to put yourself in David's shoes here. We might realize, if we do that, we might realize that he had other options. If we think about it, instead of trusting in God's word, David could have just put his trust in the people of Keilah. 
I mean, he just saved them from the Philistines. Therefore, he could have easily ignored God's word and relied on their gratitude to protect him. And if you think that is maybe a far-fetched reading in between the lines of the situation, just examine your own heart for a second. Have you ever put your trust in other people in a difficult time instead of looking to God's word? Another option David had would have been to give to give up, to turn himself in to Saul and plead for his life. After all, verse 13 tells us that David and his men really had nowhere else to go. Verse 13 says simply that they went anywhere that they could. And perhaps there was the temptation to think that Saul would have mercy on him and his men for saving the city of Keilah from the Philistines. Maybe that would win points of favor with Saul. David had won points of favor with Saul before. Maybe it could work again. Either way, the point that I'm trying to make is that David had more options than simply taking the Lord at his word and running away. David could have put his trust in men. That is the people of Keilah. Or he could have called it quits altogether and thrown himself at the mercy of his enemy and say, Lord, I just don't trust you. It's your, the, you're the reason why I'm in this mess in the first place. He could have said that. And it's important to realize this because it helps us to appreciate what David actually did all the more. David did not put his trust in men, nor did he despair of his situation to the point of giving up. Instead, David turned to God. He trusted in his word and acted accordingly. As a result, David didn't take the easy way out. He didn't choose the most convenient path for himself. Instead, he went on the run and chose the life of a fugitive yet again because he trusted God's word because he trusted God to deliver him from his enemies, just like how he trusted God to defeat his enemies. The question for you and me is, how will we choose to live? Will we trust God to deliver us in the same way that we trust him to fight for us? Because believe it or not, we too, like David, have an enemy to run from. We too are currently living under the regime and the reign of a mad tyrant king. And no, I'm not talking about any of our current political leaders. The Bible tells us who this mad king is. The Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, describes him as the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The apostle Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in the book of Revelation, the apostle John describes him as a great dragon who makes war on the people of God. 
And then in Revelation 12, John tells us that this great and hideous dragon is none other than Satan himself, who is the deceiver of the whole world. Now in the church, we don't like to talk about Satan very much. In fact, it feels like we almost pretend that he just doesn't exist. But make no mistake about it. Satan is very much real. He is at work behind all the evil that we see in the world, working to undermine our faith, to destroy us and to snuff us out. Because like David, we serve the one true king. So the question is, how will we live in the face of this enemy? Will we go into hiding and seek our own self-preservation? Or will we trust in the Lord to fight our battles for us? And when things get tough and we come face to face with the threat of persecution, will we rely on the mercies of men? Will we despair and give up the fight? Or will we trust in God's word to deliver us? The truth is that God has given us examples in the Bible like David to show us how we should live and to encourage us in the way we should go. Through the life of David, we are encouraged to put our trust in the word of God. Now, at this point, you might object, and I kind of hope that you are, saying, that, yeah, sure, it was easy for David to put his trust in God's word. After all, he did have the ephod that told him exactly what God's will was in any given situation. That would be a pretty nice thing to have. So isn't it a little unfair of God to expect us to live like David, to make those hard choices? And the answer is no. No, it's not unfair of God to expect us to live like David. Because the truth is, is that God has given us something much greater than the ephod. We have been given the very word of God in the flesh, in the person of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who through his Holy Spirit now lives in our hearts and speaks to us in the pages of Scripture making known to us exactly what the will of God is. But more than that, what's even better than that is that this word made flesh not only makes God's will known to us, he doesn't just tell us to flee from our enemies, this word of God actually wins the war for us and secures our deliverance. He did this by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead, thereby defeating the power of sin, death, and the devil once and for all. As a result, he is now at God the Father's right hand, seated in the heavenly throne room on high. His kingdom has been established, and all things have been put under his feet. Therefore, it isn't up to you and me 
to be like David. Christ has already done that. And not only is he like David, he is greater than David. Because unlike David, who was a sinful creature like the rest of us, Christ has obeyed the word of the Lord perfectly. Because unlike David, he lived a perfect life in subjection to God's word. He fought his father's battles and secured the salvation of his people. And when he found himself surrounded by God's enemies in a hopeless situation to the point of death on a cross, he created the ultimate pathway of deliverance for us. When he broke death's dark hold on him and was raised from the dead. As a result, all that is left for you and me is to put our trust in him. Put your trust in the word of God made flesh. And when we come face to face with our great adversary, the devil, and are threatened with persecution, even to the point of death, we are to put our trust in Christ victorious and the eternal salvation that he has already secured for us. And when we do that, we can rest assured that what is said of David in verse 14 will also be said of us. Though the enemy sought him every day, God did not give him into his hand. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the life of your servant David and how he points us, Lord, to our great Redeemer and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us through your word. Help us as we go forth from this place to put our trust in Jesus, strengthen our faith, and make us to be faithful so that our lives would give glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.